Hello! Please let me see your ticket stubs for the double-edged double bill. This week, it's the monstrous motherly antics of Serial Mom and Ma. week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to this table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 or seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am Adam Thomas, and I am full of dog blood. And I am Thomas Mariani, and don't let me drink alone, Adam. Alright. Yeah, I figured you wouldn't. That was kind really of a precautionary thing. <laughs> I don't know. I think I'll probably drink it alone right now, you, you bastard. <laughs> well, we're not alone here, Adam. It's not the two of us this time, because for the first time in a while, we have a guest on with the two of us. Uh, she's a writer in her own right, and uh, she would not be caught wearing white after Labor Day, for sure, especially in a jury room situation. <laughs> it's Miss Lily Labens. Lily, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Adam and Thomas. It is so wonderful to be here. It's an honor, honestly. Oh, don't don't degrade yourself like that by thinking this is an honor. <laughs> you you deserve so much more than that. I like how you said my name first. Drop me your Venmo info. I'll, I'll hook you up. <laughs> okay. I, I see how this works. That's that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> we we don't bribe any of our guests until after the show. Then bribes galore. Uh, but. Welcome, Lily, to the show. I invited you on, uh, especially because uh, you're a self-professed horror fan in your writings and such. And uh, we have you on today for our topic, which is Monster Moms, not our Evil Dead Rise coming out, which actually looks pretty fun. I was kind of dubious about it, but those trailers had me very excited for it. And uh, I heard from you after I invited you on this particular episode, Lily, that you did some research into sort of this monster mother sort of subgenre we uh, decided to devote the episode to, basically just like horror thriller movies focused around sort of evil mom characters. And what did your research findings bring you to? Well, I feel like I've been kind of researching this topic for a long time because I've always just been drawn to horror movies, uh, specifically ones that are sort of femme centric and, you know, feminist skewing. I know that it can get a little tricky uh, in the horror genre, but that's kind of why I'm so obsessed with it. And I think specifically uh, horror centered around motherhood is fascinating. Um, And I mean, in my experience, the experience of being a woman is scary enough and the prospect and idea of motherhood is scary enough on its own. And I think cinema has done such a cool and terrifying job of exploring the possibilities of this very realistically horrifying and uh, sometimes beautiful thing, which is motherhood. Um, One of my favorite books, which I have next to me, is The Dread of Difference. And it's just a bunch of essays on horror films and feminist aspects from them. And there's a whole chapter on the trauma of birth and giving birth and um, how as traumatic as that event and experience can be, it's typically uh, only rivaled by the trauma that comes after um, with having a child and a spawn uh, and something to take care of. So I'm not hitting on anything particularly groundbreaking here. I'm sure y'all uh, know exactly what I'm talking about, but I just think that this is a really cool, fascinating topic to explore because 
even if you're not a woman, even if you're not a parent, uh, I think you can definitely align with the fear of having to take care of something, having something so much like you, it's uncanny. Uh, the very cool thing about that and the very terrifying thing about that. And yeah, I'm excited to hear what y'all have to say. Uh, not nearly as interesting or intelligently as you'd said it. Um, but oh, no, I, 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 I agree. Like barfed word salad. So that's cool. <laughs> it's cool. That's what we do often on this show. Um, but <laughs> I mean, for me, like, I, I agree with in terms of, like, there's so much versatile things you can do with, like, sort of, like, the mother as monster kind of subgenre where you ha can have, say, like, your carries, where you have, mm -hmm. like, Margaret White uh, sort of be this, like, oppressive motherly figure that's so domineering and so omnipresent. Um, and then the you can even have that with sort of, like, literal monster elements. Like, it really dawned on me after I really realized that, like, oh, the whole thing with, like, the xenomorphs and alien and the chestburster thing is, like, it's this metaphor for the horror giving birth to, like, a monster that will go around just destroying humanity in its own right. It feels like it's very much like an anti-reproduction sort of series in its yeah. own way. There's, there's, there's so much, many different layers to, like, sort of the mother as monster in theory. Would you agree with that, Adam? Oh, definitely, for sure. And, you know, it also, uh, for me, it's all, always sort of... Um well, I guess it's worked for me on maybe a different level. It's, I, I never had really the strongest relationship with my mother, too, and she was always sort of a cold, authoritative figure. And it just, you know, you kind of intimidated by people like that. So it also works on that level for me where it's like, ah, oh, fuck. You know, you're just kind of scared inherently as a child of your parents and, you know, watching horror movies where, you know, the worst thing you could possibly imagine your parent doing, they do. Um, whether it's to other people or to you or, you know, other loved ones. And yeah, I've always been into this sort of weird little subgenre that this is, you know, and it, it, it also goes across so many different genres, but uh, particularly in horror, for sure. Yeah, we might as well go into our two features, because if you're new to the show, every week, uh, Adam and I pick a good and a bad feature related to the topic, in this case, Monster Moms. Um, and, uh, you know, we ended up with my bad pick of Ma from 2019, and then Adam's good pick of Serial Mom, though shout out our patrons at patreon.com slash dedbpod, ended up picking uh, in a poll between Adam's choices of and got a Serial Mom, so uh, thank you all patrons, and more on that later as we get to near the end of the show about our Patreon, but let's get into our two features, so we'll first start off with Ma. Are you going to meet a boy? No sex or booze. Okay. Let's get filthy. Excuse me, can you buy some booze for my friends and I? You guys want to party like rock stars? Follow me. Let's get drunk! The bar is open. What do you think? We don't know this chick. It ain't much, but it's all you. Cool basement. You're free to do whatever you want down here, but nobody go upstairs. This is so sick. Welcome to Mars. Don't make me drink alone. Don't make me drink alone. I want you to meet someone. Nice to meet you, Maggie. We went to high school together. Why is my son... He smelled just like your daddy. ...spending time at your house? Hey, guys. That bitch is crazy. Probably something wrong with me. This is the most fun I've had in a long time. Mm -hmm. 
So Ma came out uh, May 31st, 2019 from director Tate Taylor. And uh, if you're unaware of this movie, maybe only aware of the memes that were around when it was coming out, um, mainly based on Octavia Spencer. Uh, the titular Ma is this character who is played by uh, Octavia Spencer, whose real name is Sue Ann, but she goes by Ma, and uh, she's sort of like the, the main villain of the piece, but we mainly follow a bunch of teenagers for, especially the first part of this movie, as, they, you know, they're, one of them um, is new to town and is trying to, like, get away from her mom, played by Juliette Lewis, so she goes with, like, sort of the rambunctious, rebellious kids who are like, oh, we want to try and get, you know, alcohol so we can drink. Uh, but we're underage, so uh, we were trying to get people basically off the street to like, hey, sir, can you buy me this alcohol? Here's all the money. Here's our list. We'd really appreciate it. And they end up getting rejected from most everyone except for Ma, Sue Ann herself, um, who buys them the alcohol um, and then ends up sort of becoming a den mother, as it were, as she lets them drink in her basement and hang out, and she ends up partying along with them and all the other teenagers that come as this becomes sort of a hot spot for teenagers to do uh, illegal behaviors. And um, as the story goes along, it turns out Ma's doing this to sort of live her own uh, fantasies uh, that she ended up getting uh, taken away from, as we see in flashbacks about her own teenagehood. And um, this movie, I remember, as I mentioned, this movie got, like, very memed. I didn't see it in theaters, but it was just, like, a thing where it's just like, oh, this was coming out, and people were excited about it. It's a Blumhouse horror movie, uh, and only cost $5 million, made $61 million. And um, I picked this as a bad pick, because the thing is, I would be so down for this movie to be kind of like a fun, trashy, weird thriller movie. And my problem with it is that for the first, like, hour, it's really fucking dull. And then the fun stuff happens, like, in the last 30 minutes. And I'm just like, why did it take this long to get to the fireworks factory, personally? I feel like if we had spread out some of the weird shit that happens near the end of the movie throughout, I think it would be a lot more fun. But as it stands, it's kind of a disappointment for me in that regard. But, Lily, I'm curious, what are your thoughts on Ma? Well, I would mostly agree with you. I, first of all, for some reason, did see this movie in theaters. Uh, I'm someone who, me and my best friend, we just are going to see every horror movie that comes out. And this was pre-pandemic, and it was, you know, like, fuck it, let's just go see this weird movie with uh, Oscar winner Octavia Spencer. Thank you very much. And um, I will say, I really didn't like it when I first saw it and thought it was I couldn't tell if it was, like you said, like trying to be campy, intentionally so, a little tongue in cheek, but not really going there all the way. And it just didn't, it didn't really hit for me, didn't really make much of an impression. And then I feel like the memes came out kind of after the fact um, and reminded me of it. And then when I rewatched it for this, I honestly got to say, I did not hate it as much. I don't think it's a good movie, but I had way more fun than I expected to. And I did not remember that like Alice and Janney is in this yeah. and Missy Pyle. And like, I don't know, I the the music was kind of good um, and unexpected. Some of those needle drops were very unexpected. Funky Town comes on and Ma is like in one of her fun party outfits. The teenagers love Funky Town and Men Without Hats and all these other like really old drops that are like 40 years their senior. <laughs> Yeah, they all just know it and they love it. Yeah, and they're down for it. Um, yeah, but that's why, because I did have fun, that's why I was ultimately, again, just disappointed by where it all ended up because I don't think it was not like I thought it was going to be. I ultimately don't think it was very sympathetic or kind to Ma um, as a figure. And then it makes me wonder what 
what the purpose of all this was, which I don't really like to think, especially watching any movie, but watching a horror movie, that's not the first thought that I want to come to mind is why, because I don't really need a why typically, but yeah, it's just kind of a bizarre movie. They try and have their cake and eat it too with like the sympathizing for Moth, and we'll get into that, yeah. I'm sure, as we go along. But uh, Adam, we actually watched this together as like during our own pandemic kind of movie watching stuff. We watched this together and had a lot of fun with it. Uh, do you still have a lot of fun with Mom? Yeah, I do. Uh, <laughs> you know, I know it's not a good movie to you. I knew it wasn't a good movie when I first saw it, and then watching it with you, I also knew it wasn't a good movie then. I know it's not a good movie now, but I think it's, I just think it's kind of fun. I think Octavia Spencer. She just carries the whole movie, obviously. I mean, she's fucking great in it. I do wish there was more of her sort of off the rails in it. But uh, I think her performance is strong enough to sort of carry the first, you know, 45 minutes. Um, I think everybody in it's pretty good. But yeah, I think it's fun, dude. I, I think it's solid. It's very problematic. There are a lot of issues with it. And the thing is, Ma's, I tell you, Spencer's character is basically playing that one mom we all knew, you know, when you're in high school and stuff. The mom who's... Well, at least I did. I don't know. Maybe my school is different. But one friend had that mom be like, "You get as long as you don't leave, you can drink here. But leave your keys, you know, shit like that." When you're like 15, 16 years old, and you definitely shouldn't be. It's super irresponsible and just awful parenting. But this is like that, like on an eleven. So I mean, yeah, it's dumb. But <sighs> I do agree with you, Thomas. I do wish. You know, the movie was more how it is in the last, you know, sort of third of it, uh, more throughout the entire picture, um, just because there's some wacky shit that happens. But I think it's it builds enough solid sort of, I don't want to say tension. There's no, 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 no tension in this movie. But there's enough story building, I think, to keep, to, it keeps me entertained. I mean, it's not great. It's not, she's not going to win another Oscar for this. But it's... uh. Yeah, I think it's all right. It's all right, man. It's all right. You just you just got to let go of all your negativity, bro. <laughs> no, I have uh, trauma from my past, and therefore I'm going <laughs> to have kids listen to Funky Town. Uh, that's, that's how I let out my trauma. Um, but I think the thing is, I think I would be more on board with even what you're saying. Where, like, I think Octavia Spencer, I agree, is like good consistently regardless. I mean, she's one of those great, like, when's she ever bad? kind of actresses ever since she gave Tobey Maguire the go to be a wrestler in the first Spider-Man movie. It's like, she's never been bad. Icon. Yes, Icon. Rob Zombie's Halloween, too. I mean, even then, she's she's doing a decent job just like, oh, I'm a nurse and then I get stabbed and I, like, that one scene where, like, she actually, like, screams and blood starts coming out of her mouth. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that was a trailer moment. Yeah, all right. But I think the thing is with that, I would probably be more on board with, like, the sort of fun badness of this movie that I think it has the potential to be, if not for, like, I hate all those kids. Those kids are, like, nothing to me. <laughs> and we spend so much time with them. And none of them are interesting. None of them are, like, kind of fun. None of them especially do, like, you know, there's the horror movie thing of, like, why would you do that? This is one of the key examples of that for me, where it's just, like, after she does that whole thing where she puts the gun on that one kid and it's a strip... And then it's like, ha, I was joking around. That's 20 minutes into the movie, yes. by the way. <laughs> I made note of that because I, I felt like that happened a lot later on. <laughs> that happens very early on. Like, why would you ever go back to that lady's house after that? I would never return there. Even if I was a dumb teenager, just like, I'm dumb, but I have like basic lizard survival instincts to be like, nope, this is bad news. I don't care if I don't drink. <laughs> yeah, but did she have pizza rolls? 
Oh, good point. Pizza rolls. Oh, come on, death. man. That's a very good point. Yeah, good point. Especially after all the other shit, too, where she's doing, like, she's caressing these young boys, especially, like, all the time she, like, touches their faces. And it's very clear she's trying to live a certain different fantasy life and all that shit, like, try and catch up on lost time, basically. Like, if I were any of those boys whose faces she struck, just be like, um, I'm gonna go. I don't know if I want to be around. And But none of these kids are, like, interesting or make me feel, like, engaged enough to where, okay, I can see where they're coming from for me to, like, forgive that. Because especially when they're the real focus of the whole movie and most of the adult characters are way more interesting and they're very side characters. Like, I'm just, like, so in a loss, for, in so many lulls for this movie. Just like, all right, when are we going to get to, like, fucking Luke Evans getting dog blood inserted into him and shit like that? That kind of shit's what I want. <laughs> Yeah, dude, what the fuck? Like, I don't even <laughs> think I really <laughs> comprehended that the first watch. Like, uh, I don't even know if I was fully paying attention because just, I, I, like you said, like, toward the end, it hits, like, a breakneck pace of just, like, crazy shit happening. After then, Missy Pyle's death in particular, I think this movie is, like, on a different wavelength than I was great. waiting for. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, just even that part that is... <laughs> just Octavia Spencer in the nail salon fighting with that old lady yes. like that is unnecessarily so funny and I <laughs> like I wanted more of that shit you know I I, I didn't understand like the tone felt kind of all over the place yeah because it definitely feels it's interesting finding out about this movie where this is Tate Taylor who directed amongst other things The Help which got Octavia Spencer her Oscar oh and also he has a weird career where he did, he did Get On Up The Girl on the Train Ma, and then Ava the Jessica Chastain fucking, like, assassin movie or whatever. Oh, like, God. Right. So, like, he's a he's one of these guys where, like, he clearly is interested in, like, okay, I'm going to do various different genres, but he's not, you know, interesting in the way of, like, you know, say, like, when George Miller goes from doing a kid's movie to a Fury Road. Instead, it's just like, oh, yeah, I want to do this. And I don't know, I'll just take whatever script. Literally, like, Ma was a script that had gotten turned into Jason Blum the day before. And fucking Tate Taylor is, like, friends with him and said, hey, I want to do a fucked up horror movie. And he's like, I don't know, what about this? This arrived on my desk the other day. And, like, they, Octavia Spencer said yes, and literally that's how that happened. The magic of movies. Right. <laughs> I don't know, this is lying under, like, it's supporting my desk chair because it's, like, out of, one of the legs is gone. Sure, let's do this. Um, but it feels like that. It really feels like if this was something he gave a shit about, I think it would be more of like a fun, interesting movie. But it just feels like, I don't know, I'll just get Octavia and Allison Janey and all my fun, like actual talented character actor people to be in this. And some kids I don't give a shit about. And it'll be fun. And it's not quite as fun to me. Well, they'll sound like good final thoughts. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I totally get that. And you're not wrong. It doesn't feel, in no way does Ma feel like a passion project because i mean as we all know even movies when they fail but you can tell like the filmmaker really was trying to make something and really had something they wanted to say or really proud of the work ma doesn't feel like that ma feels like yeah all right let's put my name out there again and uh you know i mean it definitely suffers for that i think that's sort of the problem with the movie it 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 doesn't I guess you guys said it the best already, whether it's kind of tonally all over the place. It doesn't have sort of consistent fun level to it. There's no sort of underlying, like, I don't want to say message, but no underlying, like, really strong theme to push it through. It's just Lady X crazy for a while, then gets really crazy. And that's pretty much it. I mean, 
that works sometimes. But yeah, I guess that's kind of the case. He, you could tell he didn't really, he didn't really, not necessarily give a shit, but he wasn't putting his all into it. So I guess, uh, yeah, you know what? It's terrible now. I agree with Thomas. <laughs> yes, <laughs> converted. Yeah, hell yeah. Um, but no, Lily, how do you feel about Tate Taylor's direction in this? I, I mean, I don't know if I paid any particular direction to the direction other than the fact that the opening is like this large massive sweeping shot of you know this car i guess driving or like the scenery and it's like this weird whimsical indie music uh promising opening that just again maybe that was the point to kind of throw us off uh immediately but i was just kind of like i just don't think they're really taking it there um and it kind of makes me think, I mean, and this was many years before All Things Considered, but uh, it, you know, the movie Megan, which is also Blumhouse, which is also a very uh, intentionally campy movie. I think Megan's better, but I, I think they're both kind of trying to accomplish the same thing. Maybe Ma was more accidentally uh, memeable, but I feel like they're both trying to be memeable. I can see that, yeah. I think, but the, the, the difference is, I would say, like, a Megan at the very least has, like, a more consistent sort of idea of like, okay, this is the personality of our horror movie. Cause like, especially juggling yeah. horror and comedy always famously, like it's a very tight rope that a lot of people walk and many of them fall and like crack their heads open versus the really good ones like show just like, okay, this is an example of like somebody who knows what exact tone they're trying to balance, how gory they want to be, how much of the horror versus the comedy they want to balance out to. And this one definitely feels just more like, Hey, we're hanging out with Octavia and Allison and, uh, Luke Evans and Missy Pyle and Julia Lewis, a lot of fun people there. I think they're having fun. Right. I think especially like this was around the time I was starting to do my turn to liking Luke Evans after the first part of his career was a lot of just like very typical sort of hunky male roles. That I'm just like, oh my God, he's such a cardboard versus here like this and that Bad Beauty and the Beast remake. It's like, oh, you're the best part of like bad movies or you're a really good part of bad movies. Because him, especially, is just, like, this asshole who's going around who's just, like, has some concern for his child, but at the same time, it's just like, yeah, I don't I don't even remember what the fuck happened to you, lady. It doesn't matter. Like, him, especially around Missy Pyle. Like, the two of them are very fun. Oh, my God. Or, um, <laughs> like, Juliette Lewis is, like, concerned mom. Always I'm a fan of Juliette Lewis. And, like, obviously, even Allison Janney, who is so throwaway in this movie, she may be shot, like, two days and she is still, at the same time, so fun. She's like, why isn't this goddamn dog pripped? One of her only lines is like, well, go get some horse tranquilizers. Do what you gotta do. <laughs> like, that's so amazing that you're right. She's definitely on set for, like, two days, and that was all the work she had to do. That's chef's kiss. Perfect. But at the same time, big dessert, like, as a horror fan, why did we not see Allison Janey die and get to that point where she's in that dog crate? True. Like, that's... Who wouldn't want to see that? Like, what, 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 like, that's the trouble for me is that he feels like, oh, I want to, Tate Taylor is like, oh, I want to do a horror movie that's also kind of like a fun comedy, but he doesn't really want to do the work for it. It's just more like, we'll basically do this as a theme so we can all hang out. And also, I guess a bunch of teenagers will be there. It doesn't matter to me. And that's, that's the thing is it feels like very sort of lackadaisical. Yeah. Yeah. But um, what about Adam? I'm sure you you want to speak up for any, especially like of sort of the the adult actors in here. You have a lot of fun with them, I suppose. They're kind of what gets you through and kind of likes this movie a bit more. Yeah, I think they're all fucking good in it, man. I, I love Missy Pyle in this movie. She's so fun. But yeah, I absolutely love Luke Evans in this movie, man. I, I'm a big fan of his. I, I've been a little bit longer than you have, but not much because uh, I agree. His early career was like 
oh, he's good looking, and he's British. Let's put him in everything. But um, he's uh, he's really fun in this. I think their sort of whole uh, scene at the bar when they're together is really cool. Uh, yeah, it's a great scene where he just sort of pulls the rug out from underneath her, and that's obviously what sends her really down the spiral. But uh, it's a real sort of tense moment. Um, I think it works really well. I think Juliette Lewis is, is really good in this. She absolutely comes across as like sort of she's trying to be the cool mom, but still try to like you know keep her feet down and, and sort of set rules, but at the same time like eh, eh, you do what you want, like kind of thing. And she really works in that. But yeah, I, I think the adults really work in this movie. I agree. Most of the kids, child actors. Uh, not that there, any of them are particularly bad. They're just kind of bland, do nothing, stereotypical teenage characters. Uh, I mean, all of them for the most part. I would say the only one that really stands out who really, really does a good job is um, the one who plays uh, Ma's daughter. I think she's really fond of this. Uh, you really feel bad for her. And I, I think she's able to sort of convince, convincingly, like, sort of display that she's, you know, a victim of Munchausen by proxy and stuff like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I want to see more kids die. I know that sounds bad. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think we saw any die. Really? She just kind of messed with them. Yeah, she's or like... Or maybe some died. Yeah, I don't she, remember. I mean, she, like, sewed their shit up and clothes and all. I mean, yeah. that's pretty fucked. But, yeah, I don't think she killed any of them. Maybe that's what we needed. More kid death. Yeah, that's what was missing. Yeah. More kid death and more fake Luke Evans donger. Oh, God, the donger. Okay, that... The donger, that is, baby. <laughs> that was, like, the uh, most... That was, like, the most shocked I was at this horror movie. Just like, whoa, wait... There's a moment where Octavia Spencer just holds it. I and know. I thought that was I thought that was that's cinema to me. <laughs> so it's absolutely beautiful. That. I agree. You're right. And shout out to what was it? Luke Evans was like went on Twitter after that. It's just like anyone curious about, you know, that scene in Ma, you know what I'm talking about? And they just never responded. I'm just like, what? Wait, wait. <laughs> Why are you leaving that on the table, Luke Evans? What? <laughs> say what you're gonna I wish say. Actors would be I wish they would be quiet. <laughs> just be quiet. <laughs> he, t- he typed that and then closed his laptop like that Antonio Banderas <laughs> meme. Cleans the bag. Got him. Yeah, no, and you know, the thing is, look, if you're going to put a donger in a movie, make it look like a convincing donger. This was not a convincing looking donger. It looks like they bought a rabbit like sex toy and just sprayed it peach. <laughs> they don't have the prosthetic budget of like HBO you know right yeah exactly. at least they did like just reuse the Dirk Diggler one or something <laughs> you know the latex is all cracked and rotting fuck it go with it universal prop store backlog like we're gonna use <laughs> uh, no yeah but that's that whole scene was pretty fucking great man and I could have used a lot more of that sort of craziness throughout the whole thing. Like, I'm glad we didn't get like shocking moments constantly. Cause then it would sort of become tiresome, but just on that level of like, what the fuck is happening here? Uh, and yeah, it does take quite a while. I mean, yeah, you get the, the scene with the gun, which makes the kids strip, or like you said, Thomas, or she's touching all the, the boys faces with me at that age. I'm like, Oh, you're going to flare up my acne. But it was, um, yeah, I could have used a lot more of just, crazy insane shenanigans and sort of like 
dumbfounded and it's like I can't believe this is happening other than like she's getting a little upset they're not partying with her anymore oh, or boy. even just like so even the scenes that are like in public like the scene where Juliet Lewis confronts Ma at the liquor store and yeah. they just and they just go full on just like oh are you jealous is that what this is and Juliet Lewis is like oh what the fuck is happening here I didn't expect this what is this you talking about like that stuff where it's like oh this is all underneath like this is literally like in the basement that nobody like sees any of this shit and all this is like coming out in the middle of like actual normal people time and everything just like oh Jesus Christ this is so like that kind of stuff and I'm curious Lily in terms of like your research where we were talking about with like the sort of monster mom where do you think Ma kind of fits within that because especially we were talking kind of about like the whole they try and make her sympathetic with some of the flashbacks and stuff how do you think she kind of ranks in terms of that archetype of a character yeah i mean it's interesting because we do get uh those flashbacks and that uh perspective of uh, her younger self and i mean just little bits but that kind of makes her inhabit both the child and the mother and i think that's sort of fascinating and then to that end, I think it's kind of lame how late in the movie we find out about her own daughter, because that's a very interesting dynamic that I think could have been explored more. She's the monstrous um, den den mother, and and she doesn't have the responsibilities or the anxieties of like an actual mother taking care of children. She's literally just you know, there to there to party and facilitate the party uh, and is neglecting her own child in the process. Um, I mean, it's she, it's something I hadn't even thought about, to be honest with you, because she is like her own archetype because she is so far removed from the role of motherhood. She wants to be one of the kids um, and, you know, kind of live that eternal uh, youth and party life. Uh, where there are no responsibilities, there are no kids. You don't have to worry about anything. Um, so yeah, I don't know. She kind of carved carved her own space. Really broke that glass ceiling of uh, monstrous moms. Yes, for sure. She's a true innovator, in the monstrous mom genre. <laughs> yeah. And it was especially interesting finding out apparently that the backstory stuff was written after. That was one of the few things that Tay Taylor had rewritten from the original script. Was that yeah. stuff was not you in, could tell, and it feels it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It. Because there's nothing. I mean, don't rock. You know, her her childhood and high school years, you know, according to this movie, they looked like they were fucking terrible. You know, I, I completely get that. But it's also, in no way does that justify how purely batshit she is now. Like, it, I mean, it might, I don't know, but it just seems forced to me to where, oh, we got to put a sympathetic angle on this character at some point. And I don't think that was necessary. I don't think you needed it. I think just the idea of this like sort of loner woman who, you know, is a little bit unhinged and she finds sort of like a group with these young kids who treat her like, you know, how she, cool she is and all that stuff. And she starts to like maybe get a sense of pride or whatever out of it. And they abandon her and that sends her off the deep end. I think that was enough. Um, I don't feel that every character needs a tragic backstory. Yeah, I, I can agree with that, especially when like you kind of like have want to have your cake and eat it too with that kind of thing, as opposed to like if you want to go with that angle of like oh she's like this is like her sort of getting her vengeance on like the sins of like the parents and everything like that. 
cool. You can do that. And I think if you weave that throughout the whole movie in a more authentic way, I think that would work. But the trouble is that almost comes off as like a twist ending reveal. Like, oh my God, like the third act, big twist that this is all happening. And also her kid is fucking upstairs, like locked up basically. And also all this other shit. It feels like it's trying to pile on like a bunch of twists in a row. As a, And it feels, quite frankly, it feels very like Ryan murphy that's my thing with this movie. Oh, it feels totally. like it so feels like it's a Ryan Murphy TV I, show. I thought they were going to go even further and say that like Luke Evans was the father of her child or something, you know? Right. I was beg- begging for something like that. I absolutely thought that was going to be the case. Right. And that it was like a child of sexual assault by Luke Evans or something mm-hmm. like that. Something uh, horrible. Yeah, I absolutely thought that's where they were going with this. I'm glad they didn't. Because uh, that would just checked the other Murphy box, but it's just yeah, I yeah, I don't didn't need any of it. Like you said, Thomas, if they had leaned into the fact that she purposely like put herself in the situation and connect with these kids because she's trying to get revenge on their parents, sort of deal, then if you're going to do that, then really lean into it. But yeah, they kind of at the end, oh, it's all tied together. Yeah, they, they okay. introduce it where, like, she realizes, like, oh, this van that you guys are driving around in belongs to Luke Evans' character because you're his kid. Okay, and then, like, an hour later, they're like, oh, yeah, remember that? Like, by the way, they were all went to school together. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, it feels kind of like it's a back burner thing and they don't really develop that well. Um, but then, it's like I said, at the same time, as much as I'm dogging on this movie, um, the really fun stuff is, like, during that last 30 minutes, like, it, it really, like, rocks up to, like, a weird, bizarre tension. Like, I, I mentioned earlier, but I want to specify, the Missy Pyle getting run over scene is easily the best part of this movie. It's so good, it's so sudden, and then she's like, yeah, fuck her, and then like, starts playing September by Earth, Wind, and Fire. <laughs> if more of that shit happened, I'd just be like, this movie's fucking gold. I <laughs> love it. But that's, like I said, that's an hour and ten minutes into this 90-minute movie. Need way more of that earlier on. You know what? I mean, it's not. It's it's another horror thriller. Came out around the same time, starring an Academy Award winning actor. Uh, that shouldn't have came, and it's ratcheted up to eleven. Kind of the whole movie is unhinged. Yes. If this Love movie was like unhinged, yes. they'd be like, "Oh fuck yeah!" But it, you know, unhinged Are is you a better movie. To add that to Are my you, list. Yeah, no. uh, Lily. This is the movie where Russell Crowe plays a guy who has road rage. And starts, like, stalking oh, people. Okay. Yes. It's amazing. And it's full him in, like, big crow. <laughs> big angry, fat like, crow. Un- yeah. Yeah, big yeah, fat crow. But it's beautiful. It's He's so literally unhinged in the movie. It's a lot of fun. Came out during the terrified. pandemic. No one saw it. But it's so good. <laughs> we watched it because it's awesome. We did. It's really great. Anyone out there, see Unhinged. That's more of what this movie well, wishes it could be unhinged. Yeah, I did something right. <laughs> um, well, let's. Uh, we have a whole other movie to talk about, so let's do our final wrap-up thoughts here on Ma Lily. Your final thoughts on Ma? Um, you know, all in all, not you know terrible enough to completely hate, and not amazing enough to like super defend and like have uh, an obsession over. But the sheer you know lasting power of this movie should speak to the fact you know that it has some good qualities to it because i still see ma memes all the time and i'd still you know laugh at them for the most part and i you know laughed a lot at this movie and at the very least i can appreciate it for that i wish it were more of a horror movie kind of like what we've been talking about just more seeing deaths and gore and things like that it was you know 
maybe trying to be too many things at once with the childhood trauma, the motherhood, you know, tropes, the uh, partying, I don't know, but it, it really tried. It took a lot of big swings and I can appreciate it for that because in my opinion, a lot of horror of the modern era just doesn't take that big of a swing. So I can appreciate it for that. Yes. And uh, Adam, your final thoughts on Ma. I mean, I pretty much agree with everything Lily just said. Just want to add, Needs more dongers and dog blood. <laughs> I mean, that's your autobiography title. Dong, that is, dongers and it dog is. Blood. Adam Thomas, dongers and dog blood, a life on the edge. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. And yeah, I mean, I, I've said pretty much all I, I had said previously, just TD, TLDR. Um, if this movie had more of the fun stuff for the last 30 minutes throughout its entire runtime, it'd have a lot more fun with it. There are fun moments in this place. Like, I would say, if you're going to watch this movie, you can be on your phone the first hour, 10 minutes, and not miss a goddamn thing. And then the moment Missy yeah. Pyle's, like, walking around, <laughs> Octavia Spencer Caesar, then you just, like, put your phone down and have all the fun you want with that. That's sort of, like, my problem with the movie, but at the same time, not enough to totally dismiss it. Like, and there's still stuff even earlier on that's still fun. Like, we didn't talk about it much, but all this weird social media posts Ma does, like, after she's especially <laughs> abandoned, and she's like, don't let me drink alone, and all other shit. Like, Octavia Spencer's having the time of her life, and I'm all for her getting more lead roles. Like, she talked about how, like, she wanted to have, like, a lead role in a movie that she felt like she wasn't really getting, and so Tate Taylor gave her this opportunity, and I'm glad she got it, especially for a movie that did very well, and I hope she gets more of especially much better movies that utilize her wonderful talents uh, instead of, you know, this one, sadly. But let's get to, I would argue, a much better sort of horror comedy about these monster moms with a serial mom. Life doesn't have to be ugly. Look at the birds out there. Listen to their call. Hooey? Hooey? This is the story of Beverly Sutphin. Scramble eggs, anybody? A devoted mother. I'm so happy I could chip. You know how I hate the brown word. A loving wife. You think the kids are awake? We could be very quiet. I'm ready! Honey, you're hot tonight. <laughs> and a suspected murderer. How did America's number one mom turn into one of America's most wanted? Is she really guilty? Are you a serial killer? Chip, the only serial I know anything about is Rice Krispies. Or is there someone else? I'm stood up. I'll kill that jerk. With an axe to grind. Oh. I'll never get a boyfriend. It's been a crazy day, hasn't it? Serial Mom. Every woman wants to be wanted. Just not for murder one. So, uh, Serial Mom came out April 13th, 1994. Interesting fact, we're recording this April 13th. <laughs> I didn't even realize that we're recording this. I was going to say, did yeah. you do that on purpose? That's awesome. Th that totally intentional. That's what I wanted. Cause yep. yep, we did. Yes, we did. <laughs> yeah, we did. Yeah, <laughs> totally, we did. Um, but, uh, yes, from uh, director-writer John Waters, who, of course, is very sort of celebrated, and especially the sort of queer filmmaking circles, and is beloved for, you know, all the stuff uh, he did with Divine back in the day. And this is more in his mainstream era, sort of like after, like Hairspray, the 1988 Hairspray was a big hit. Um, he ended up making a couple of weird, kind of mainstream, but kind of not movies after that. And I'm curious, I guess, before we get even into that, Adam, you picked this movie, but I understand you're not as huge necessarily on John Waters as a filmmaker. Is that correct? That is correct. I am absolutely in love with John Waters as a personality. 
Um, John Waters alone is part of the reason why I was comfortable enough to sort of explore my own sexuality because I was a weird little horror kid who had a bunch of weird feelings and all that because seeing someone like John Waters who was just like, fuck it, I am what I am, check out my little mustache. I'm like, yeah, I can get into this guy. So I've always been a fan of him forever. Uh, His movies are real hit and miss for me. Um, I can appreciate a lot of them for what they are. Some of them I just don't like at all. I mean, like I can't stand like Cecil B. Demented. Uh, I, I just, oh god, I hate it so much. But like, yeah, I at John Waters as a personality, I think is just like kind of the bee's knees. Oh, well, I'm using that harsh language like bees and knees over there, Adam. Calm down. This is a family show. Um, but <laughs> I'm curious, uh, Lily, do you have much experience with Waters' work? Yeah, I love John Waters. Um, I think my introduction to him is uh, the episode of The Simpsons he's on. I don't know if y'all have ever seen yes, it. Yes, homophobia, hell yeah. Great. Oh, I think yeah. it's one oh, of the yeah. best episodes of all time. I just think, like, bit after bit after bit, this is just a side note, but it's just so funny and so great. Introduced me to him, and then, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I really love um his more main morph of the 80s 90s you know for that i feel almost like a fake fan because i've definitely tried the divine era of film and i think you know divine is iconic and uh amazing and their efforts uh everything that that they did together was like very cool on a subversive art level but on a pleasurable entertainment level I'm I'm unfortunately not super um, you know vibing with that era, but um, I'm a huge same as Adam said, just huge John Waters the man fan, and um, I I absolutely love this movie. I love Crybaby was like my favorite movie as a child. I don't know what that says about <laughs> me, but um, I I just think the aesthetic, the writing, everything about it is so uh, so perfect and messed up in the best way. Yeah, it's interesting because I think I have a similar take to you, Lily, where, like, I hadn't seen most of the John Waters catalog until, like, the last couple months. I've just been kind of like, oh, you know what? I haven't seen much of his work. Let me kind of peruse. And there's ones I respect, even though, you know, they're not my bag. Like, Pink Flamingos is an an audacious artistic piece. Not a a fun movie to watch, necessarily. (laughs) Um, But, like, yeah, not no, no, no. But, like, a daring, interesting, risky piece of art, for sure. And I think that's what a lot of his sort of 70s output is. I would say of that era, my favorite's probably Female Trouble, which is the one that plays out where, like, Divine is like, oh, I'm a 16-year-old girl who's gonna, like, leave and go out for a life of crime. Like, that's fun. Like, that's that one I think is the best of, like, that era. But I do agree with you. I think I prefer sort of, like, his weird attempts at mainstream movies, like, even, like, Polyester, which also had Divine in it, but Hairspray, and even Crybaby and this, I think, do such a great job where it's like, okay, I'm within the studio system, but I'm also doing shit that's, like, so off the rails. Like, even Hairspray is a a PG movie, but at the same time has, like, so many bizarre... Mm -hmm twists and turns it's just like i don't know how like this was like at all successful quite frankly because it's just a bizarre garish 60s like pop piece but it's fun and it's great and i love it. it was successful and led to a serial mom which i would argue is probably his most accessible movie and i would say is my favorite of his i think serial mom's a lot of fun and if you don't know what this movie is out there basically uh we follow uh the sutfin family with beverly the mom played by kathleen turner 
uh, sort of being our main titular serial mom. Typical sort of Gen X trying to be like a Brady Bunch style family uh, where you got like Sam Watson's the dad, Ricky Lake is the daughter who's going off to college, and Matthew Lillard is the horror-obsessed teenager. And they're all supposed to be the perfect family living in a white picket suburban fence kind of place. Uh, but all these things start ticking for Beverly where she's making obscene phone calls and she starts seeing people not sort of do uh, very typical kind of things like, oh, she's not doing her recycling. I'm going to kill that <laughs> lady over there for not recycling <laughs> and shit like that. And it leads to her becoming sort of an infamous celebrity. And now, Lily, you mentioned you were a big fan of this movie. Would you say this is your favorite of Waters's? Oh, God, it's so tough. I mean, Serial Mom came to me later. I actually, another weird coincidence, about a year ago, uh, this week I watched Serial Mom for my blog when I was doing a John Waters night um, and it was the first time I had ever seen it and it was one of those movies just like as someone who like my favorite movie for example is Heathers um, and so people are very surprised when they had heard I hadn't seen this movie so I obviously had to jump on it was obsessed with it and then rewatching it again for this just it 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 doesn't get old it's so funny I agree it's his most accessible but it's still just so twisted and so funny just very early on just seeing Kathleen Turner do that deep demented voice in the phone <laughs> saying such obscene things is so funny and I saw in the show notes you have that like these other actresses who were considered for the role and I just can't imagine anyone but Kathleen Turner doing it because she has a sort of like masculine presence that these other uh, actresses don't and I also because she's sort of a, cla- a classic movie star, whatever that means, just in my mind. And it's very, very fun to see her be so dirty and evil. I love it. Yeah, for reference, the names that uh, were initially approached for this include Meryl Streep, Kathy Bates, and Glenn Close. And I agree that none of them could quite have the sort of distinct, interesting quality of, like, Turner, who does feel like, I agree, like, in her career earlier on, she was, you know, like, in Romancing the Stone, all this other stuff, she was very much kind of, like, almost filling a role of, like, a Catherine Hepburn kind of, like, classic movie star thing for the 80s. And then with this, it's just like, well, okay, if I'm going to age into being mom roles, I'm going to do weird mom roles like this. And uh, she does a phenomenal job with it. And I guess, Adam, based on you not necessarily being as huge on Waters in general, this would probably be your favorite of his, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I saw this movie, oh, probably not too long after it came out. And uh, I didn't like it when I was younger, but I was like, you know, 11 or 12. I didn't get it. Um, And then I watched it probably, I was like 19, 20. And I remember really, really like growing fond of it. And I hadn't seen it again until yesterday for the show. And I had a fucking blast. Uh, I think it's so fun and so funny. And I think everybody in it is on their A game. Like even Ricky Lake, who I'm usually not a fan of as far as an actress. I don't think she's ever been good. But she works perfectly in John Waters' films. And I think this is the best she's been. Uh, Even over Hairspray, I think she's great in this. Um, Matthew Lillard's great especially for like his first film role like he's really really fun in it but yeah turner is just having a blast in this the way she like you said the way with the the prank phone calls you know you're like cocksucker you know put your pussy in your ear you're like what the fuck like she's lost her mind and uh yeah the the white shoes and just how she instantly knows i'm gonna fucking kill that kid because he's here with another girl 
And uh, you know, it's just, it's really fucking great. And it just shows also too, like, I love the picture it paints of suburbia. Like even these other people, like her neighbor, where she doesn't recycle and she switches, you know, the tags at, at the swap meet or then the other neighbor like steals her parking spot. She's drinking beer at nine in the morning. It's really fun. It's so so in your face and crazy and zany but there's so much odd like heart to it where you really kind of like care for the family in a weird way and you almost you want her to get away with it and which you really shouldn't because she's just a horrible murderer but like yeah man get the fucking kid from child's play three get that motherfucker chucky couldn't you could do it you did it you beat chucky (laughs) But it's just, it, yeah, I think this movie's so fun and in a weird way, sweet. And I know that sounds crazy, but it just has this sort of like inherent sweetness family movie to it. It's just, yeah, this movie's great. It feels definitely like Waters is kind of playing with like sort of, this looks so much like a sort of family comedy movie of this era. Where, like, they're playing on, like, older, like, 50s sort of aesthetics, that sort of, like, 80s into 90s kind of thing of, like, looking back at the 50s thing. But Waters is putting in just, like, these very, like, sort of mean little digs and stuff with, like, the the neighbor characters. Like, Turner's chemistry with particularly, it's uh, Mink Stoll, uh, who plays Dottie, the one she's having the obscene phone calls with, which she's of the Dreamlanders. She's, I think, in every John Waters movie, basically. And she's my favorite of those, like, Dreamlander recurring yeah. people yeah. in any of Like, she's <laughs> so great. Just, like, especially her getting gaslit, but just, like, I can't believe you dropped the Fabergé. I didn't do that. She just, <laughs> I didn't do that at all. Like when she's saying fuck you at the, like as she's being at the, the courthouse at the end. And then also uh, her other neighbor, uh, Miss Ackerman, played by Mary Jo Catlett, who is great in this movie. But when I first saw this, I'm like, that voice sounds so fucking familiar. And then it clicked. It's Mrs. Mrs. Pop from SpongeBob. <laughs> <laughs> Amazed. Yeah, dude. I was totally expecting her just like, oh, cereal mom, why? Like, where was that? <laughs> Perfect for that. <laughs> um, but no, like, all the, the stuff with, like, those two is, like, really fun, especially when we get to, like, the, the stuff at, like, the swap meet, where it's just like, oh, it was a cracked Fabergé, yeah, I couldn't possibly accept that necessarily. And then, like, all the perfect setup leading to, like, that kill in the bathroom is so good. It's kind of the stuff I wish was in more of Mob, where it's just like, oh, everything's like set up really perfectly. And then Kathleen Turner just like stabs him and then like that little piece of like liver that's still there and she like shakes it off and then flushes the urinal in his face and stuff like that. It's so demented, but at the same time you are kind of like, yeah, fuck that dude. You go, serial mom. You show him who's boss. How dare he upset Ricky Lake like that. Yeah, I found myself almost... uh... I don't know if y'all watch uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm ever, but um, I, you know, like many people I know, or maybe I'm just messed up, I find myself relating to Larry David um, at times. And this movie kind of gave me the same feeling where I'm like, you know, if anything, she's just trying to improve the neighborhood. There's all these nuisances all around her and all these people disrupting things. And uh, she's almost like if Larry David cared enough to get rid of his troubles. And I know she's going to an extreme. Well, especially that she's so friendly with like all the like people who they consider like other neighbors when they're less than like she's buddies with the garbage guys, like gives them the little yeah. the alcohol and just like, oh, my. 
I can't yeah. believe she's, ca- she's costing the taxpayers so much money. I wish somebody killed her, right? <laughs> yeah, right? Wink. Um, and all, all that kind of stuff. Blah, blah, blah. And even, like, her chemistry with, like, the family where she's, like, she's trying to be, like, you know, very, like, traditional mom. Just like, oh, you know, don't say the brown word. I don't like that brown word. Or her weird chemistry with Sam Waterston is very charming, like, when they have that s- ridiculous sex scene. And so at the same time, like, oh, they're kind of, like, they're into each other still. They're, like, middle-aged, but, like, they still want to have, like, a fun sexual relationship. But then it just goes wild and off the rails and the kids are, like, upset hearing all of it. Like, there's a real weird kind of charm that builds up in the way it almost feels like it's kind of like an early satire of like true crime like that's that's another thing that i think makes this movie like work so well like mm-hmm. the earlier thing which is like um oh this is all based on true stories none of the we didn't corroborate with any of the real people this is all bullshit but it's john waters perfectly laying into like that thing that still exists to this day like now serial mom would be the subject of a fucking crime podcast and we'd all be rooting for her <laughs> oh yeah and rightfully so i recently just watched uh, natural born killers um and I did not love it, but I like the idea of calling out or pointing of a mirror to this like glamorizing, sensationalizing of murder and of true crime. Because while I myself will sometimes, you know, be interested in some true crime things, I've mostly just been put off by like the TikTokification of it all and people being very morbidly into it and not respecting the privacy of like actual people have been through horrible things. Um, and this movie, I think, just did a really good job uh like uh, effectively pointing that out and the grotesqueness of that while also managing to have fun so i think that that's really cool and something that only john waters could do probably yeah i mean for for sure like now now adam i'm curious uh how is this sort of like aged for you especially because you mentioned like you were kind of curious like if it would hold up for you what do you think makes Mm. it hold up as well as it has in this like nearly 30 years since it came out well, there's sort of a timelessness to it, you know, in a way, because yeah, it's it takes place in the '90s, sort of poking fun, like you said, of sort of family comedies of that era, but also like the stuffins are like halfway in the '50s. This movie ages really, really well, and it's just fun. It, it you pick up things every time. Like this is definitely one of those that I see every time I watch it, noticing something in the background, or maybe picking up on a line that I might have missed or maybe misinterpreted the first first or second time I watched it. There's just so much here. Like, I love the bit, you know, where she comes in and she's like, to the math teacher, she's like, oh, I, you know, I made this for you. He's like, oh, a fruitcake. Like, yeah, ew, dude. <laughs> like, you know, it's just, you can tell by his reaction. He's like, great. But she means it was so much sincerity, you know, and it, it just the, the audacity of the math teacher. Like, are there problems at home? Drinking? drugs there's so much to this that it almost demands repeat viewings not sort of all the time like i couldn't do this like every year maybe but every couple years go back to this and and just sort of appreciate it for what it is i do think it's john water's best movie i it's not his weirdest it is most definitely not his weirdest movie for it's sure no no in no fucking way is it his weirdest <laughs> nobody's eating shit um and plus i mean turner man how good is Kathleen Turner in this movie? Like, this is just just a wonderful performance from her that it, it's just kind of like a shame we didn't get more of Kathleen Turner doing these sort of weird comedies like this. Like, she's, you know, everybody knows Jessica Rabbit and then sort of her erotic thrillers that she was doing for a little while and, and things like that. But, man, is she so fun in this. And also, 
Sam Watterson in the movie, like he's so good in this too. You know, everybody knows him from Law and Order or selling robot insurance or whatever. He's just so fun in this. I guess that's what really makes it hold it up. It's the family dynamic is still like palpable and they feel like a real family, even though you line those four up, there's no way those kids came from those parents. Like there's no fucking way they don't look like it. Nobody looks related, but yet, it's totally believable. They're this weird Americana family. Like they look like they're out of a painting or right out of leave it to beaver. Like it's just, it's fucking great, man. Only Norman Rockwell could paint. A yeah. That's the name I was looking Zero. for. I was going yeah. to, I almost said Rock, Rockefeller and I'm like, that's not right. So I'm just not going to say anything. <laughs> uh, but, but no, I think it, it, it kind of works where it's a, a big thing. I agree with you with Turner. It's such a shame that like not too long after this is when she kind of just got, you know, the typical Hollywood sexism kind of like pushed to the side. It was a combination. Like she had like some back problems and then she gained a bit of weight and so I was like nope we can't have you around and it's such a shame because she was always like such a very committed performer and it's it's really that voice I agree with like what uh, Lily was talking about earlier like sort of like there's this weird kind of masculine quality so when she ends up going into the sort of homicidal rage it's almost kind of like what the society has brought onto what the sort of patriarchal element has done to her basically she kind of takes on that aesthetic to it even when she's like dealing with you know like the most innocuous things like my favorite probably kill of this movie is everything related to the lady who doesn't rewind her tape and then goes back home, all set to Annie tomorrow, and uh, she just kills her. It's like, is about to kill her with a knife. It's like, no, not this. Like, that's the thing. Is like, she has this weird kind of like interesting psychology where she Turner is treating every decision she makes with just like a sort of actual mind to what the character would be like. No, I don't want to do it with a, this fucking knife. It's not going to work. Let me get the ham. <laughs> And literally go ham on this lady. It's so good. She treats there's a weird interior logic to every sort of acting decision that Turner makes. It makes it that character feel so alive. Yeah, I was listening to y'all's episode on uh, spoofs, and um, you were talking about how it really only works when everyone is taking it seriously and like fully, fully in it. And I feel like everyone in this absolutely is, but Kathleen Turner is just leading the charge because she. Just the effortlessness with which she can switch between being very sweet and not being so sweet is, you know, I mean, it's indicated in just how quickly she can change voices. And, you know, when she is with Mrs. Puff, I can't remember her name, and Mink Stole, and she's just like, oh, are those pussy willows? I can't do it. I did it reverse. <laughs> Fuck. Anyway, it's incredible. It's a masterclass in acting. Um, and, you know, she's fully taking it seriously respecting the material for all of its ludicrousy, but also the story it's trying to tell. And I, I love it. It's amazing to watch. Yeah. Especially like as it even goes along where she gets in the middle of like the big trial and she starts defending herself. It's like so fun, particularly that one witness who saw her in the bathroom is like this weird pervert guy. And she just was like opening up her legs underneath the, the table. She's like, Oh, I made it all up. It's completely different. <laughs> Doesn't matter. <laughs> like it's like, there's this absurdity to it, but at the same time, it feels just like it works with this weird, fun logic of this movie. And even like the weirder stuff that's earlier on, like the less, I guess not as like crazy wild stuff there, but like even the small things, like the scene where Matthew Lillard, uh, his girlfriend and their buddy, Justin Wayland are watching, uh, the Herschel Gordon Lewis moving and there's like all this blood coming out and Kathleen Turner just walks in like alright kids you have to go home and now I've heard that your math teacher said this is affecting your schoolwork, but go back to that one scene where like all the real viscera was coming out like it's this weird thing where it's this, it's this funny moment but also she's having an interest in her kids interests 
it's like kind of sweet in a weird way which is like oh it's like a weird mother-son bonding moment over this horrible gore affected by her bloodlust it's, it's kind of sweet in a really fucked up warped way no i completely agree that's one of my that's one of my favorite parts of the movie that's like i said that's why you want her to get away with it you want her to because she has these moments like yeah she's a crazy psycho killer but you know she wants to talk about birds and bang her husband at night. She wants to watch, you know, a highlight of a woman getting her heart ripped out in a blood feast with her son because she knows he's really into it. And she defends his love of horror movies, even to like the teacher or everybody else. Like, oh, he's, he's just a boy. You know, boys will be boys. And when her daughter gets her heart broken, she, you know, goes with her to the swap meet. And she's also telling her, like, you know, be happy with yourself instead of finding, you know, to just really like love yourself first. Like she's got a lot of really great, like motherly maternal advice and intention in the movie. And that's why it's just kind of hilarious that her, her version of being sort of maternal and loving and protecting her children is also brutally killing anybody who does them wrong in any way, in any way, not rewinding a videotape at her son's video store. You know, that's that's all it took. She's and she's dead. The math teacher says, Oh, he's really smart, but you know, he's you know, is his love of horror movies, I you know, those films are disgusting or whatever. You don't how dare you insult my son's interests. You're gonna die. I'll run you over in the parking lot. I'm gonna run you the fuck over. <laughs> it's like you know, it, it's just and anybody who witnesses it, because you're gonna take me away from my family. It's really sweet in a very macabre and dark, twisted way. And I've known concerned parents that have, you know, they haven't killed anyone, but they, you know, certainly um, do some unadvisable things in the name of uh, oh, looking out for their kids. Sure. Quote unquote. So, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, she's she's a good mom. She she can't help that she's also super good at killing. So. Oh, and how funny that. is it that she's got like the correspondence taped from Ted Bundy, and she's got, you know, all this other yeah. stuff, and he just. And he finds it all at once. It's not even well hidden. Like, it's just there out in the open. Like, even her bird book is, like, helter-skelter with the bird book, like, sort of jacket on it. And and a shout-out to John Waters' wonderful cameo as the voice of Ted Bundy. Just like, it's so lonely in prison. (laughs) It's so obviously John Waters, too. (laughs) It's so great. I love it. Um, but what would you guys say? Like, I mentioned the the Annie kill as sort of my favorite sort of horror moment of this. Do you guys have another favorite sort of, like, horror bit of this movie, Lily? Would you have one you'd want to spotlight that we haven't maybe mentioned? Oh, man. The Annie one is pretty great. Um, I think it's pretty brutal when she kills the guy in the bathroom at the swap meet. Like, and yeah, also funny. Fine, for sure. Um, and I also just... I also just like in general when the family kind of starts to realize something is up with the mom when she like kills the fly or whatever and she's like simultaneously proud of herself and kind of grossed out by the blood and that's what's so funny to me is that she can brutally kill someone and then be like ew this mess you know which is probably why she went with the the ham instead of the knife because less of a mess, you know, always being considerate. Yeah. I, I love the bathroom one. I mean, there's for many reasons. One is of course there's a fucking glory hole in there. Like, of course, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but also like she pulls a full ass liver out. Like it's like, how, how does a fire poker enter a body? And then she's able to pull a liver out through the puncture wound. Then she like slips on it. And then just the, Oh, Bev, you got a little bit of poo on your shoe. <laughs> oh, I hate that. 
Like, it's so ridiculous. <laughs> it's so over the top and outrageous, but it's great. And also, Tracy Lords and her bit is real fun in this. She's another John Waters regular. I think she plays that little cameo role really well. Uh, yeah, I, I love the bathroom kill. That's the one that's always stuck with me, too, just because of the sort of preposterous nature uh, nature of the whole thing. I, I think it's, listen to me with big words tonight. I think it's, uh, that one fun, make laugh. <laughs> well, you know, another one I just wanted to shout out that, like, is actually, I think, really works. It's, like, right after the sort of Annie kill, you have, like, her chasing down Justin Whalen. I think that's a genuinely really good sort of, like, chase sequence that leads to his amazing death by, like, hairspray fire, which is so great. And then just the added layer of, like, the band, just the L7 uh, doing their cameo, seeing him on fire and then just, like, pouring alcohol on his body. <laughs> It puffs up even more, and then everyone starts cheering for Serial Mom. It's so fun. It's so good. And even, like, the Labor Day kill, also, we didn't mention that, but, like, the last bit of the movie is kind of, like, a perfect way to wrap up this whole movie, which is, like, the, you're wearing, why, after Labor Day, no, fashion has changed! And then she gets, like, pummeled with that payphone. And the amazing, also, just someone we haven't mentioned, but, like, the whole Suzanne Summers cameo, who is someone I only know from pop culture references, (laughs) but I love her coming and just, like, well, I think she's an innocent woman, and I can't wait to portray her in a made-for-television film. That's one of those bits that really uh, stands the test of time, too, because that is absolutely the first move when, you know, there's a suburban killer, is that, okay, who are we casting in the biopic? That's, like, the first order. Right now, it would be the Netflix original series uh, that would have run, yes, right. for sure. Uh, but but yeah, there's there's so much, you know. I, and I guess uh, we've been talking a while about Serial Mom, so let's go into our final thoughts here, Lily. Your final thoughts on Serial Mom? Any little impressions you want to shout out about Serial Mom before we get out of it? So good. I mean, uh, it's got that little you know special sauce that's in every John Waters project that uh, is just so demented in the most fun brightly colored funny way um he's one of those filmmakers who i feel like you know there's a lot of people who claim to be wacky and quirky and subversive and all these things because we you know it's a cool thing to aspire to but he's one of those people who i think actually can walk the walk uh and always always deliver something that is wacky zany uh in this case a little bit spooky but just entirely its own thing it's like easily easily replicated but there's there's only it's it's so original yeah i really hope that liar math movie actually happens that they announced recently oh yeah but his first film in like 20 years i'm just like you know what yeah we need some more john waters we've been missing that <laughs> since like 2004 when a dirty shame came out we need more of like the the fun john watersy stuff even if i'm not a huge fan of liar math whatever it is it's just like at least we need some more of that chaos in the middle of our cinematic landscape currently, for sure. But, Adam, your final thoughts on Serial Mom? It's my favorite John Waters movie. I think it's super funny. Uh, it's pretty much like a pitch-perfect black comedy. Uh, you know, the horror elements in it, I mean, I would not I would never call this movie a horror movie. Uh, I mean, but the stuff that is there, if you're looking for it, you can find it. Um, it but it's not, like, overwhelming or just, you know... And saturated with it um i think it's a, a really sweet movie for some reason um and i just uh yeah i absolutely love it i love kathleen turner in it i love john waters as i said uh at the top of the discussion i will always love john waters if john waters wants to put out a million movies and i hate all of them i don't care i just want him to do what he wants to do 
Well, plus you get the press tour, and that's what you really want. Is the a thousand percent that movie, is, and you watch all the press tour. Right, but also, I mean, John Waters is such an important, you know, figure. And in, in, if you like independent movies and sort of weird cinema, then John Waters has a huge part in that, uh, especially going forward from the seventies to now. Um, so yeah, anything that guy wants to do, let him do it. I'm good for it, or good with it. I'm not good for it. I'm not fucking like bankrolling it but i'm good with it no that's that's legally binding john he'll find his liar mouth he's gonna do it thomas thomas i need you to pay pal me (laughs) well um yeah i mean i agree with what everyone else said i think it's it's my favorite waters as well it's definitely like one that's it's a lot more accessible and a lot less of sort of like the the grimy original stuff he came from but i think him sneaking this into a studio funded like 13 million dollar budget in 1994 is almost more subversive to me because it's like what studio would have bankrolled a movie this fucking weird even like in the 90s like this is around the time of like you see like the closest that a studio would like have done for something this is like the brady bunch movie which is fun but very much of its period (laughs) as opposed to this is like the much more demented cousin of like the brady bunch movie where it's like oh like the the few like really weird like surreal moments in the brady bunch movie is all this movie like every single bit of it is like it has this weird surreal fun kind of like trashy quality that's still you know a lot of the satire still kind of holds up but there still is at the same time this emotional core i think thanks mainly to kathleen turner's like really committed performance but also like we said waterston and lillard and ricky lake all make this weird kind of like family unit that you want to see kind of like succeed and follow through and you want to see jason Priestley play that one guy's brother <laughs> with the amazing thing we didn't talk about where this math lord's gone full on like oh yeah I'm, I'm, i gotta speak with my manager about this <laughs> and all the, the rights have been sold <laughs> no there's stuff really fun really good moving definitely see it if you have not but now it's time to get into our weekly segment the double redo double redo double so the double redo is a segment that uh, we do every week in which Adam, myself, and a guest, if they so choose, uh, talk about an alternate double feature, as it were, where we bring up here's a good in a bad movie uh, related to the topic, uh, you know, so we can say just like, hey, here's one we would recommend you all and one that we would say you stay away from. And uh, I'm going to start off here this week uh, with my two choices for Monster Mothers as a double feature. And I have a very interesting, maybe slightly controversial uh, one for especially horror fans out there, where um, my good pick is an often maligned sort of one in terms of this weird series that shouldn't have been a series, but uh, I have Psycho for the Beginning. That's right, the sequel, prequel, made-for-TV movie that came out on Showtime in 1990, uh, one of Anthony Perkins' last movies reprising the role of Norman Bates. And uh, basically, if you are unaware of this movie, um, in this one, uh, Norman has apparently settled and have, has had a wife, and uh, it's he finds out very early on in the movie that she's pregnant, and he spends most of the movie calling into this radio show hosted by CCH Pounder, uh, where she's talking about matricide and uh, sons who kill their mothers, and obviously Norman would be very appropriate uh, guest for that particular episode. He calls in and sort of gives a lot of his backstory, which on paper 
could be like kind of you know the, the classic prequel problem with horror movies and not work. But for me, having just seen this like this past week, because I got the Psycho box set. Because I'm I'm gonna say this right now. I'm a big defender of like the Anthony Perkins Psycho movies, particularly. I think not just the original classic, but two and three. I think are very fun. Especially two is an kind of an underrated masterwork that shouldn't work. Psycho is like a franchise that should not have existed whatsoever because the original movie classic does not leave anything open for a sequel. But I think all three of the ones with Perkins have this fascinating quality of like exploring a lot more dimension to Norman in a way that actually helps like strengthen the stuff from the original movie as opposed to like make it feel any worse. And I think even this one does where we have a lot of the flashback stuff where we have young Henry Thomas of E.T. and now recently all the Mike Flanagan movies playing young Norman Bates and Olivia Hussey of A Black Christmas plays uh, Norma, his mom, um, who I think is named like Glenda for some reason in this movie. I don't know. It's weird. I think their relationship is actually very authentic to sort of like a weird, abusive son-to-mother relationship that's not exploitative at the same time. It's dealing, obviously, with some of the dated psychology that was from the 1960 movie that's like a bit behind the times but at the same time I believe the tragic sort of weird chemistry between those two as like a mother-son and even the the stuff where it's in the present I think uh you know Anthony Perkins is doing borders and over the top it still is very sincere about like the what Norman is struggling with about like why should I have a child and just like let this horrible gene continue um, and at the same time, CCH Pounder, always great, sort of, like, keeping him on the line, trying to, like, keep investment in, like, I want this for my radio show, but also I want to make sure he doesn't kill again, because he kind of promises that at a certain point, and she's kind of trying to keep him at bay. Um, I think it's a genuinely really fun movie. I think it's one of, uh, it's Mick Garris directed this, and we've said before, not a great filmmaker necessarily overall, but I think this is one of his better movies, especially for, like, a made-for-TV Showtime movie from 1990. That could easily not work as well as it does, but I think it's surprisingly very good. I would recommend, like I said, all of the Psycho sequels are much better than I think people give it credit for, but I think Psycho 4 in particular is the one that gets more maligned than any of the other ones, and I think deserves a bit more credit. And then my bad one, this is the hot take, everybody, is the original Friday the 13th from 1980. That's right. I'm not a big fan of the original Friday the 13th. I think that series is fun, but you can tell with that first movie, it's a blatant Halloween ripoff, and they're not even really hiding it. Um, I think it's uh, it kind of has a weirdly similar problem to Ma for me, where, like, as much as I love, you know, the Tom Savini kills, most of them that happen, um, the characters are mostly uninteresting. Like, I love me some Kevin Bacon, you know, young Kevin Bacon showing up, a slab of bacon, for sure, and his, like, arrow kill's amazing. A lot of fun kills, but... Like, until we get to Betsy Palmer actually showing up as, you know, spoilers for this fucking 40-year-old movie that that's actually the killer is, you know, the mother of the Jason Voorhees character. She's, like, obviously very committed and very fun in, like, that last, like, I don't know, 10 minutes of the movie, but it's so late in the game, and none of the other stuff is nearly as interesting as, like, either Halloween or any of even the sequels. Like, Friday the 13th Part 2 is such an immediately ramp-up for, like, a way better version of that kind of formula and you know like four and some of those other sequels really fun really interesting but i think the first one just feels like maybe the upper echelon of the bad post halloween ripoff slashers which if you go to 1980 slashers most of them are fucking terrible and i don't think you know the first friday the 13th is much better hot take i've seen both your choices i also like the psycho movies and much like john waters i kind of feel the same way about mick garris i just really like mick garris 
Like, he seems like a really nice guy. His podcast is super solid. Like, he's even at a convention here, like, I think next weekend. I'm not going, but he doesn't charge anything for autographs. He doesn't charge anything for selfies. He just likes to get out there and meet the fans. Like, he just seems like a really cool dude. And uh, you want to see prime, weird, crazy Mick Garris, sleepwalkers, baby. But, um, yeah, and then Friday Thirteenth. I I like Friday Thirteenth for what it is, uh, but I agree with you that it's kind of a wet fart to start the franchise. I, I I like all the kills. I like Kevin Bacon and everything, but I've always had a problem with that movie to where people sort of talk about it like it has that surprise twist reveal that it's Pamela Voorhees. Dude, she shows up in the last 10 minutes out of nowhere. It's a brand new character. Who else is the killer? Like, it's obvious. It's never been a shock to me. Like, oh my god, you're telling me it was her the whole time? Like, you know, yeah, of course. That, who the fuck? She's got a fucking knife on her belt. Like, yeah. Yeah, she's the killer. You mean the crazy lady? Yeah, she's the killer. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's... It is what it is. I agree. Part two is really sort of where the franchise took off probably because of the Jason character. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think those are both really solid choices. I, uh, I actually haven't seen that psycho movie yet. I, that's, I have some unfortunate blind spots in the psycho cinematic universe, but uh, I'm really curious about Anthony Perkins is, you know, the later films with him in it. I totally agree actually about, um, Friday the 13th. I feel bad because I know you said it's a hot take that we're both agreeing with you, but um, <laughs> it's it's for what it's promised and what the franchise became, it is very meh, very nothing. I only saw it somewhat recently and um, yeah, it didn't make that big of an impression on me. Um, I feel like the only reason why this movie is good and should exist other than the fact that it birthed the rest of the franchise is that moment at the beginning of the first scream movie when ghostface asks uh drew barrymore's character you know the trivia and says who's the the killer in friday the 13th i thought that that is a better twist uh another movie using that movie because if you haven't seen it you do assume oh yeah well jason's he's he's the one with those movies but you have to have seen the movie to know that oh no drew barrymore is gonna die because she got that answer wrong um, so I feel like that's its best contribution to the world. For sure. But Adam, what are your choices this week? All right. So I'm going to, yeah, just in case, but if nobody sees it, spoiler warning for my good choice. And my good choice is the 2001 film, Nicole Kidman starring The Others. I love The Others so much. It's dripping with gothic atmosphere. It's fucking genuinely unnerving and scary. Um, and it's reveal, you know, back in 2001, you know, Sixth Sense and all that sort of spearheaded the, the big twist endings and it's got to have a reveal and all this stuff, like the resurgence of that. And I'd argue that the others might be the best. It's definitely one of the best uses of that sort of twist tactic. Because um, ultimately what you find out about the Nicole Kidman character and what she did to her children and herself is so disturbing. And it's just how many times have you seen before and even till now a really good haunted house movie where you're following the ghosts? 
and you don't, and they think like the people living there are the are haunting them. Like it's so fucking cool and original, and it's such a just beautifully shot movie, beautifully scored. Uh, Ecclestein coming out of the fog alone is like gorgeous and scary and tense and heartbreaking. I, it's just I love the others so much. It's one of my favorite movies of the two thousands, early two thousands especially, and it's just it's just a fucking great movie and probably my favorite of all time nicole kidman and then for my bad i have a remake of very problematic sleazy horror movie uh i have the remake to mother's day uh now the original one that was released by like trauma or bought by trauma the rights or whatever it is i i I don't really know i think it was made by like one of the kaufman's like yeah now like trauma owns the rights to it or some shit yeah uh it's a very dirty dirty movie rape revenge basically um and it's disgusting and it's filthy and it's backwards hillbillies and a crazy like the the woman who plays the mother is so disturbing in it but it works for that especially when you put the kaufman name or the trauma name on it it fits in that group of movies that came out love them or hate them you know i spit in a grave all those uh, hills have eyes, things like that, but it's just gross and dirty. And it's, but it's like, it's the eighties. So it's kind of like, I'm not saying it's forgivable, but you understand. And then the remake came out, uh, with like, uh, Frank Grillo, Rebecca de Mornay, a couple other names, uh, like Deborah Ann Wall, I think and stuff like that. Uh, but the problem is the remake is just mean. It doesn't have any of the sort of really dark comedy that the original did. It's just a really mean, spiteful movie. And this doesn't take place in like the woods, not backwoods hillbillies, none of that stuff. It's just basically it turns into a home invasion film. And uh, I will say Rebecca De Mornay is pretty fucking good in it. Like she's she's really going for it, but it doesn't have any of sort of the dirty charm that the original does. Uh, none of the black comedy. It's just a fucking very very mean spirited movie, uh, which I know sometimes that's what people like. That's their bread and butter and all that, and that's fine. Uh, I've even enjoyed some of those types, but this one just feels like it's. Basically, a remake and name only, and which is fine. I mean, whatever, who cares? But when it's over, you just kind of like feel down and depressed, just because you just watched two hours of just malicious bullshit. I mean, it's directed by Darren Bozeman, which I do like him for the most part, uh, and it's directed well. Like I said, acted pretty well. It's just there's no redeeming qualities to it whatsoever. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen your bad pick. I mean, the Mother's Day, like, both the original and the remake were ones I was vaguely considering for the bad pick, and then especially when I found out, like, the original was, like, Rape Revenge, I'm like, no, we don't have to do that. I don't know if I want to necessarily go into that, down that road, and then the remake I'd heard, similarly kind of, like, you know, mean-spirited elements of it, I'm just like, I don't know if I need to necessarily bog down our conversations with that, um, but The Others is genuinely one of my favorite movies, horror otherwise, just one of my, I think that movie is, like, so perfectly constructed, and I think that movie is, like, amazing. I remember when I was a kid, when it was coming out, I was terrified by the commercials. Every single, like, trailer that had that one, like, just like, what, what do you mean? I am your daughter. Terrified me. Lived in my nightmares. The, the three housekeepers <laughs> coming out of the fog and shit, like, right. like, nope. 
nope. <laughs> and I was like 18. Right. But I'm like, no fucking way. <laughs> you and like 10 year old me would be terrified. We would cower in a corner together over that fucking why movie be, for sure. Why would we be hanging out? That's weird, Thomas. That would be really weird. Yeah, I concur. But um, but still, yeah, the other's amazing movie. Love it for sure. Uh, have you seen either of those, Lily? I have not, and I feel like I'm not representing my horror fandom very well, and I'm a fake fan. But no, I the others has been on my list for a while. Big Nicole Kidman fan, so I'll have to check that one out for sure um, and avoid the other one. Because I, yeah, I really hate just like senseless, like not not even torture porn, just kind of like suffering porn, I guess. I, that's kind of the same thing, but, you know, where it's just like, there's no fun to be had and it's just suffering. I'm like, eh, I can skip that. But uh, Lily, you have some choices of your own. So what are your choices for the double redo? So it was really hard to pick just one good one. And I have like literally 13 written down in front of me of varying degrees of monstrousness. Um, I feel like it's too obvious to go with aliens and, you know, uh, Mrs. White and, the other mother from Coraline, honestly, the Manchurian candidate crossed my mind, all these things. Um, spoiler alert for that, by the way. Sorry, that's like an 80-year-old movie. But my pick is the Park Chan-wook American-made film Stoker, written by Prison Breaks Wentworth Miller. Um, it is a film that is sort of a take on a on a Dracula story. Um, but it's entirely its own thing. I feel like this might be a polarizing choice. I know people love it and people who it wasn't their thing, but it's Mia Wazikowska doing her classic, you know, weird girl thing. It's one of my favorite tropes in a movie is like, you know, you're familiar with the manic pixie dream girl. I'm way more here for the manic pixie nightmare girl. I'll have to come up with a better name for that but you know your Lydia Dietz from Beetlejuice and stuff like that just kind of weird depressed macabre girls um and her mother is Nicole Kidman and they have this bizarre terrifying unsteady dynamic the whole time and I was honestly just vibing with it and down for the ride I'm a huge Park Chan-wook fan and I feel like I went in with lower expectations because it was American made, but it really, really blew me away. Um, and I really love this movie. I love that Wentworth Miller wrote this movie and like didn't tell anyone. And he just was fully on a very popular TV show. I think, I think at the time this came out in like 2013, but it's, I mean, it's produced by Ridley Scott and Tony Scott. So it's like, it's a, it's a big project, but I feel like people just don't talk about it. So I wanted to shout that out. Um, and my bad pick, you know, I feel like y'all were both able to find, well, maybe more Thomas, but some redeeming qualities about even your bad pick. But I recently attempted to watch a film. Um, I didn't get through it all the way. Hopefully um, that's not illegal or breaking the rules, but it's called The Taking of Deborah Logan. And it came out in 2014. Oh, wow. Right after Stoker. Um and it follows, it's a mockumentary style horror film, which I typically love that genre. Um, and it follows this uh, woman who's agreed to be a part of a study uh, sort of uh, examining the effects of Alzheimer's. Um, and 
I remember the trailers being pretty freaky and I wasn't really processing what the premise was and I was sort of intrigued by it. And it wasn't until I tried to watch it recently that I was like, oh, this is just this is just kind of upsetting um, because we see a lot of this woman quite normal and functioning and friendly and, you know, talking with her daughter and her poor daughter is just trying to like keep her together. And then at night, for whatever reason, she becomes this like violent demon. And there's some tricky territory that's been explored with horror, you know, with mental health and various disabilities and issues that I know, you know, can be problematic. And I'm not even going to make that claim here because for some people it might be, I don't know, a cathartic experience or something Uh, with, you know, family members who've experienced uh, Alzheimer's. It's just not a topic I love to explore and make any more horrifying. And it just doesn't do any job for me. It's not, you know, funny. It's not particularly scary. It's just kind of distressing. And that's, that's, that's no fun for me. Uh, Yeah. I've seen both of your picks. I mean, I like Stoker, but I really appreciate Stoker on more even just like an artistic and filmmaking level. I mean, that movie is gorgeous. The cinematography in that movie mm-hmm. is so good. Um, yeah, and it, the cast all around, again, is, is really fucking phenomenal. Like, Matthew Good's really great in it, too. Um, yeah, I like Park Chan-wook stuff, too. But yeah, Stoker, Stoker's, like I said, if anything, if on an artistic level, it's... I mean, it's something to behold. And then taking a Deborah Logan, I watched it because it was like kind of like the the hot like indie horror movie at the time. Like, have you seen this one? Have you seen this one? So I watched it, and uh, yeah, it was just a downer, kind of the whole thing. I'm kind of with you on the Alzheimer's thing. I think that's already horrific enough. Uh, I don't need to see it explored in this way. Uh, I will say. The sort of scene, I don't know if you even got to it, where she unhinges her jaw and sort of like starts to swallow somebody whole. That's pretty fucking crazy. Uh, And the practical effects are really well done. But other than that, yeah, I I didn't really have any strong feelings about it either way. It was one like, okay, I saw it. Everybody talked about it. I don't get it. I won't watch it again. Yeah, I have not seen um, the uh, taking of Deborah Logan though. I do. I had a similar thing where like that was sort of like the hit indie horror movie, but it kind of sounds like one that like had a similar kind of like oh, this is like the underrated gem from uh, just a couple years ago during the pa- the pandemic with like Relic. I don't know if you saw that one. Yeah. It has, like, a similar kind of... It's on my list. Right. Like, it has a similar thing where it's about, like, taking care of, like, um, a woman who has, like, sort of this uh, degenerative disease, and it's like, the mother and the granddaughter trying to do that. And it, I felt kind of like a similar thing where it's just like, oh, this feels like it's a much more interesting, like, kind of drama than it ever is a horror movie, quite frankly. <laughs> so it just feels like, yeah, I don't know how... Like sort of this day, I mean, like Alzheimer's as a horror kind of subject thing. But I completely agree about Stoker. I think that movie's great. Um, I think, especially, it kind of feels less like horror driven and more kind of like um, Jane Eyre yes, kind of deal, right? Yes. Where it's not, you, you mentioned like they're kind of teasing it's vampires, but they don't really say that they're vampires necessarily. It's a weird kind of take that I agree. I think it's of the, the various ways that you could go with like, oh, we're going to have a South Korean filmmaker make an American movie. You fear the worst whenever that happens. Like, oh, is Hollywood going to like completely swallow their talent? But no, like uh, Park Chan Wook did a great job of that with Stoker. And I'm kind of curious now about that one, um, I guess, Max series he's going to be doing now, The Sympathizer, 
which is about like the Vietnam a counter spy or whatever with Robert Downey Jr. in it. I'm very curious to see him kind of take that even into like prestige television territory. He's a great filmmaker. Love his work. Uh, but yeah, Stoker's really great. And uh, yeah, so let's go ahead and repeat our titles for everybody in case you know you want to add some to your watch list or want to take them off. Uh, I'll start where once again my good pick was Psycho 4, The Beginning, and my bad pick was the original 1980 Friday the 13th. My good choice is The Others, and my bad choice is the Mother's Day remake. My good choice is Stoker, and my bad choice is The Taking of Deborah Logan. And uh, we'll be doing our picking at the end of this episode, so we're going to be wrapping up here, but stay tuned for that picking. It should be a lot of fun. We'll tell you what we're covering next week for the episode. Um, but before we do, we got to thank some people like Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used for our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Christian Thor Lally for our artwork. Uh, follow him at Night of Water. That's uh, night with a K underscore of underscore water on various socials for all his great stuff. And thanks, of course, to our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash GEDBpod, where for just $1 a month, you all get to do stuff like listen to bonus podcasts, which stay tuned to the end of April. We'll be doing our uh, top 10 So Bad They're Good movies. That should be a lot of fun as a bonus podcast for us to, you know, tell you all about. And then you get to vote in polls as well for individual movies we cover, like Serial Mom. You all voted for that, so thank you so much. We got to have a lot of fun with that movie. And uh, you also get to vote for topics, which uh, the week this episode's going up, uh, we'll be having two different topics that kind of tie into do two different uh, movies that are coming out next month in the, the May su- start to the summer season, uh, where we've got uh, one is a topic of Gerard Butler, so covering... Uh, Mr. Gerard Butler's work uh, in preparation for uh, Kandara is coming out on Memorial Day weekend. We could potentially talk about the Gerard Butler uh, B-tier action movie, Oeuvre. And then our other alternate uh, choice is our uh, second episode of Sea Creature Double Features. We did this way back in the early part of the show, but basically movies about sort of like, you know, monstrous or other kind of sea creatures because Little Mermaid is coming out Memorial Day weekend as well. So uh, you all get to vote which one of those two we cover. Um, this is probably one of the weirder polls we've ever done for like a topic thing because there's no correlation. Really. It's just two weird off-kilter choices. But, you know, either one of those would be up for. Either one would be fun. Yeah, for sure. I'm down. I mean, if we re-get sea creatures, at least we don't have to fucking talk about Orca. No, that's true. We already did that the first time. You can dig into the way back into the archives for that. But um, if, uh, you know, like I said, if you want to like vote on those polls or listen to bonus podcasts, just the $1 helps out the show, keeps it running, and all that. We really appreciate it. But, of course, we also have to thank our guest, Lily. Thank you so much for being on the show. Here's your chance to plug. Where can people find you out there on the internet? Oh, man. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Lily is okay. My name is spelled L-I-L-I. Uh, if you're hungry for more double features, I have a blog that I update every Thursday night um, on lilylabins.com, uh, where I take kind of a wild uh, double feature and review them. And uh, yeah, I'm on Instagram at lily.lavens. Uh, what, what else the hell am I at? Oh, letterboxed at easy writer. That's spelled W R I T E R. Um, give me a follow. I want to be letterbox famous. I don't care about anything else. Um, thank you so much for having me, you guys. This was so much fun. Oh, you were a lot of fun to have. I really appreciate you coming on and uh, expect a summons for doing double feature content. How dare you? We invented that. How dare you do that? That's our thing. <laughs> but uh, for more of us, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at DEDBpod. 
And uh, you can also submit feedback to us either there or over on our email, doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com, all spelled out. And uh, for more of me, you can find me on Twitter and letterboxes at NotTheWho'sTommy. And you also do some writing at both uh, MarianiThomas.wordpress.com and at Film-Cred.com. And also, you know, I've said this before a couple times, but I produce the Film Cred Review podcast over on their Patreon. For $1, you can listen to that. Uh, it's hosted by Hyle Peralta, who's a buddy of ours. And I was recently a guest as well, I actually talked with Hyle on uh, the most recent episode of the should be coming out soon around the time this episode's coming out uh where we'll be talking about the 2023 summer movie preview where we like look at what's coming out we're very curious to see what you know we, we kind of have our guesses as to what will be good what will be bad all there for you if you become a film cred patron yeah all that stuff uh I, <laughs> i'm on instagram at Atom or Adam, that's A-T-O-M underscore O-R underscore A-D-A-M, and I'm on Letterboxd at Schwanson, that's S-C-H-W-A-N-D-T-S-O-N. I'm also on Twitter, but I'm uh, probably not for long, and I don't have anybody on there, and it's just depressing, and every time I get on there, it makes me realize I don't have any friends, and then I just cry and cry and cry until I see those little blue check marks, and then all is right in the world. Oh, well, Adam, I'm sorry. I have something to tell you. Those are going to disappear soon. Oh, God. Oh, no. (laughs) What are you talking about? Twitter's such a fun place. It isn't crumbling. Oh, yeah, I love it. As we're tweeting on there. But um, for more of us in audio form, you can uh, follow or subscribe, whatever the term is these days, on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on Talk Film Society, you want to listen to all the other great shows that are on the network besides us. And uh, you can also dig into the archives in our Podbean main feed for like oh, nearly 200 episodes before we even joined TFS yeah, out there. It's fucking ridiculous. Yep. Keeps getting more ridiculous with every passing yeah. week. And, uh,. You know, if you can't support us on the Patreon, that's cool. The free way to help us out, totally free, is just to rate, review, or simply share the show around because that gives us more visibility out there. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Get off your high horses, people. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. It's, I have no idea what's going on, man. But that's the town to funk your town. Oh no! Before we have to, we have to get you to bed soon, Adam. Yeah. But before we do that, before we tuck you in, we gotta do our picking for next week. Because at the end of every episode, one of us has two good movies, one of us has two bad movies. We switch up on the quality for that from episode to episode, and uh, we, you know, have our two good and two bad picks. We assign numbers between one and ten for those, and usually, you know, either one of us or a guest, in this case, Lily, will pick a number between one and ten for uh, our choices, both good and bad, and then that gets us, you know, whatever that's closest to gets us our good and our bad features. So Lily could say, I'm going to pick number seven, and the other person will say, okay, that's closest to number nine, which is blank movie. That's how we get the good and the bad feature. And uh, next week, we'll be doing an honor, I guess, honor, really less honor of the movie Big George Foreman. <laughs> it looks so dumb. Right, looks really bad, looks like a bad movie. But uh, the patrons at patreon.com slash ddbpod did choose between our two choices for a topic to tie into that, which was either traditional biopics or the ultimate winner, which was Forrest Whitaker, who, yeah, all on board to talk about Forrest Whitaker, no matter what the excuse, no matter what the project. Forrest Whitaker, fun dude, would love to talk about him. And I have the two good picks, you have the two bad ones, Adam. So please, Lily, first, for my two good picks for Forrest Whitaker, please pick a number between one and ten. Oh, gosh. So many choices. Uh, just 10 choices. Okay, let's do four. Okay. At number two, I have uh, the movie he actually won 
his Oscar for, uh, which I've never seen. Very curious to finally see it. I have The Last King of Scotland. Oh, buddy. I like that movie. <laughs> that enthusiasm. <laughs> I'm so glad that this happened. Yeah. Um, but on the other end of things, over at number nine, I had a movie that I just know. I don't know if anyone's even ever fucking seen it, but it's the Clint Eastwood-directed uh, movie about the famous jazz musician Bird, which was one of his early lead roles. Uh, never seen it, never heard of it, so it doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind of. The, the Clint Eastwood's 80s is a lot of that. Um, but now, Lily, for Adam's two bad choices, please pick a number between one and ten. Let's go with eight. I have a movie that uh, a lot of people might say would be a ripoff of a musical that came out about a year or so before it. I have the Forrest Whitaker Jude Law starring Repo Man. Oh, okay. I ha- I am aware of this mainly because of that sort of legal shenanigans of sorts of the, the accusations put it's around it. But I didn't even extreme. See it. Like, it's basically the same thing, just no sexy graveyard guy and no singing. Oh, I mean, the role Forrest Whitaker was born to play. I can't believe it. But you robbed him of that. <laughs> Travesty. Um, but what was your other choice? Uh, my other choice is by the really not good director, David Ayer. <laughs> I have Street Kings. I kind of like Street Kings. I think Street Kings is kind of fun. <laughs> I, I can see that, but at the same time, it's fun. I think Street Kings is pretty fun. Oh, that would have been interesting no. if we ended up with that. <laughs> I, another day. Perhaps another day we'll talk about Street Kings. But yeah, so, Repo Men and Last King of Scotland. Very interesting double feature, as always. Uh, but that leads us to the end of the show, everybody. And until next time, just remember, do not wear white after Labor Day. Especially if you're in front of Beverly Sutlin. Bad idea. Yeah. She makes a hell of a meatloaf. <laughs>